0: Let's go, focus, breathe, now pull the thing up, go, 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 up, you've got it, Rorden, you've got it, stand, stand up! Wake up, Tom. Mate, it sounds like you're uh, snoring there. You might have some sleep apnea. Have a touch of the uh, Dubois
1: micro-sleeps in the office. <laughs> what are
0: you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about,
1: mate. Mate, it's so funny. It's so funny. People...
0: Oh, yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> Look, the, Dane the, works me hard down there. I've the, the got cli- to start early.
1: <laughs> the clients in the morning down the end of the Strongman track looking up. And yes. There's, there's, uh, there's Big Rawdon.
0: Boom. Maybe I was just <laughs>
1: pretending. Welcome to the show. This is the sleep episode of Under the Bar, the Clean yeah. Health Podcast, where we're going to look into the issue of sleep and improving sleep and what sleep does for the body and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Our special guest on this episode, Rawdon, is my nutritional coach, Dan Garner, yeah, from uh, Team Garner, and he's he's over there with Andre Benoit at um, Touch of the Benoids. Touch of the Benoirs at the Canadian Centre for Strength and Conditioning. So we're going to have a chat with him about nutrition and his philosophy yeah. and what he's done with me, but also about sleep because he has done a lot of research into sleep.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the things you mentioned uh, with the initial questionnaire with him. There was uh, an actual questionnaire on sleep. A very detailed sleep questionnaire, yeah. yes. I mean, we uh, certainly down at the CHPC, we do delve into into the sleep side of things, but I think he Dan takes it one step further with it, quite a comprehensive... Questionnaire just specifically for sleep. So.
1: For sleep, yes. We're going to have a look at sleep apnea. It's something that you've had a few tests with. Yeah, yeah to mate. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Don't let that stop you. mate. just get on with things. You know? um, one of the other uh, senior coaches down at the CHPC. Yeah. All jokes it? aside. Yeah, has had some sleep apnea and actually went and and had the mask fixed and everything and it's had a, a total change in his quality of life so it's yeah, we chat about that. obviously something that people have to deal with so we're going to have a look at sleep apnea on the show today we're going to give you the ultimate sleep stack or, yeah. or, or one of them yeah. but a, a combination of different supplements that are really effective in improving sleep some of these we've touched on in the yeah. past and previous episodes but we'll put them all together and uh, yeah. give you the rundown. Yep. And of course we'll spin the under the bar wheel of fortune. <laughs> Give away a Clean Health podcast pack. If you'd like to contact us, you certainly can, podcast at cleanhealth.com.au. Disclaimer, Tom, you're
0: going to jump in there? Well, look, anything we do
1: discuss... Because we're not doctors... We're
0: actually not sleep doctors. Oh, no, we're not. By sure, the, fact- the lab coats are on.
1: They haven't been on for a while, so it's nice yeah, to slip back today. into them. Yes. yes, Yours is looking a little tighter than usual, mate. Hey. You've, been, uh, you've been getting some gains. Uh,
0: damn gains. Yeah, eating the carbs, mate. Yeah, Getting fat, basically, <laughs> we we'll call it. Uh, well, let's get started, Cam. Cam.
1: Brutal. 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 Cam. Rawdon, let me ask you some questions. Okay. Uh, are you male? Yes. Tick. Uh,
0: are you overweight? Well, uh, BMI, 108 kilos? 108 kilos.
1: Well, oh, you're heavy. We'll say you're heavy. Yes. Uh, are you over the age of 40? Cam.
0: <laughs> that made me get brutal over there. Uh, Cam's While eating, you a eat ba- your eating a banana. you eat eating banana. He'll be
1: falling asleep at the uh, yeah. serotonin. Falling asleep on, Rookie the, cr- era. on the creme knob. Uh, yes. Are well, you over 40?
0: <laughs> I don't think our listener needs to know that, but yeah, I am. Tick. Do you have a large neck yes, size? Yes, large. Oh, <laughs> neck?
1: <laughs> neck size, 17 inches or greater. I know. I did, fat. mate. That collar is tight and gets tighter yes. by the day. You've had yeah. a large neck, big traps. <laughs> big, big traps. There. I'm sounding
0: very uh, appealing to yeah. the, the female listener out there, yeah. Yeah, ticking a lot of these. Yes. There's this criterion. Crusty. Uh, do
1: you have large tonsils?
0: Oh, I'm not sure.
1: Well, I mean, you're very creamy on the microphone, mate. I, yes, I think that's an indicator golden of, tonsils. of large tonsils. Mm, mm. Any family history of sleep apnea? I'm uh,
0: not sure. Don't think so. Uh,
1: Gastroesophageal uh, uh, reflux or yeah. GERD? Yes, yeah, I do uh, get a bit of that. Touch of that. Touch and any of the GERDs. Any nasal obstruction due to allergies? Do you have allergies or sinus problems? <sighs> It did get a bit stuffed up there. but From, from time not, to time. Yeah. So, mate, you're, you're ticking all of the factors that put you at risk for sleep apnea. Oh, I was yes. doing research for the program today, and I had a <laughs> look at this list, and I thought, Rorden, tick, 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 tick. Yes. Do you
0: micro-sleep at work? <laughs> well, yeah, this is true. But seriously, though, you've gone and had a few tests. I have. It was it was quite interesting. I, um, I went to the GP, and then GP referred to the, the sleep doctor. Uh, <laughs> and the, the questionnaire that, that they made me fill out uh, multiple times so you fill it out at the sleep doctor and then when you get to the to the hospital to do the you know put all the electrodes we can probably put a picture up I, I do actually have a pic of me with all my electrodes hanging off me if, yes. if, if it's quite amusing but trying to sleep with all the electrodes is a, is a joke in itself but mm. apparently you do go to sleep but yeah, like the, the questionnaire was, do you get tired in the mid-afternoon? Tick. Do you fall asleep watching TV? Tick. Like everything had a tick on it. It was yes. like, <laughs> according to the, the, you know, the 10, 12 questions, it was well and truly I had uh, some sort of sleeping disorder. But but yeah, I went through, uh, I did a couple of tests. One was for, they uh, tested for sleep apnea and I do have mild sleep apnea, but it's not to the point where I need to get the mask and, and it's that, probably now it would be, being a bit heavier, but um. So I didn't necessarily have to do anything significant for that, Um, but then I also, because I I was falling, you know, I'm notorious for my micro-sleeps. I do actually do work down at Clean Health and I do manage the club from time to time, but when I'm not managing the club, I'm (laughs) micro-sleeping. and um they they tested me for narcolepsy when you just you'd be talking to someone and yes, i don't man. do this i don't sort of glaze over and doze off when i'm talking to you do i tom well, you, yes, you, you, <laughs> you,
1: you, you, you have made a number of our podcast meetings i'll just all of a sudden you start it's so boring looking, the looking podcast through meetings,
0: me. you know it was exciting yes. but yeah all jokes aside they actually tested for that and i didn't have that so mm. um yeah the way they test that they put you in a room if you keep it <laughs> keep going into it through the day which is really good you just go sleep through the day it's fantastic mm couldn't think of a a better way to spend my day but um in a room kill the lights and if you go into a deep sleep straight away then that was sort of like you lean towards narcolepsy where you can you know within a second couple of seconds bang Bang. you're you're dead to the world. REM sleep Uh, and I I didn't have that but uh yeah mild sleep happening here so yeah nothing really I mean drop some body weight uh, that was sort of you know basic sort of stuff but but nothing significant I can do really I mean I could get the mask yes but it's not bad enough to warrant that not right yet. yet yes but, okay
1: so there are two types of sleep apnea there's obstructive sleep apnea which is what you would have been Tested yeah. for that's when the soft tissue in the back of the throat sort of narrows the the airways to a certain degree while you're sleeping and it disrupts your sleep. Then there's central sleep apnea, yeah, where the the respiratory centre of the brain actually malfunctions. Ooh, I don't and, want that one. No, you don't want that. And but it's only a very small percentage of people who actually have sleep apnea have the central sleep apnea. So mm. it's, so the obstructive sleep apnea is more relevant and probably more relevant to our audience as well because yeah one of the, the common things between yourself and uh, the senior coach down at CHPC who who has a sleep apnea is you're both very large like high amount of muscle mass like well oh, uh, massive amount of muscle mass uh, over muscle 105 on. kilos yeah. on the scales you know that's yeah. uh, well you know what the feeling's like I mean I don't but you're lugging around all that weight and uh, you're, getting, you're getting bigger <laughs> by the day and you know life yeah. stuff.
0: It it is especially yeah. the lumbar rectus get a little cramped yeah. if I've got to walk further than 5 metres but yeah, we're talking about Corey down at the super coach down at the CHPC, uh, senior coach down there. But he, I spoke to him about it, and he actually, because we went down to the Fitness and Health Expo, and he had uh, what, what I thought was a laptop, but it wasn't a laptop. It was actually his uh, uh, little machine for his sleep apnea. So the mm-hmm. mask that he he sets up, and um, and he was a little coy about it at first, but then, you know, he he, he talks uh, freely about it now. But but basically, he said five or six years ago he ended up getting it but what initially led him towards it was the relationship stress like him snoring his head off and, and sort of gagging through the night yes. and, the, and the missus sort of elbowing him the yeah. ribs saying, and it, well, you know,
1: he said he'd wake up in a fit of sleep apnea and he'd swing his arms out and yeah, yeah. knock her in the head and it was, it
0: was <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah he said it was sleep apnea yeah, yeah. but you know you don't sort of think about that side of things but the, the stress on your, on your partner obviously if you're not sleeping and snoring you know uh, very poor sleep for them, and yes. uh, I'm sure Dan will, will delve into the, the, you know, the complications of poor sleep. But, but that would certainly be poor sleep for two people in the room. But ever since he he got the machine, and uh, he said he, he it wasn't a simple process of getting the machine, and that was done he played around with the different mask setups and they're all different uh, fittings you can get for the face, but, but found one that was quite comfortable and, and it's Whisper Quiet and, you know, his, he basically said his, his life changed completely. Yes. So in regards for, for our listener who, who is, you know, uh, performance oriented and, you know, body composition uh, goals... Basically he said flat out that his body comp improved dramatically, muscle mass went up, he was recovering, growing, the the training that he was doing he was able to recover from. But he was at the point, Tom, where he, in the afternoon, uh, this is what I should do, really. But in the afternoon, would would block out a, a, an hour and a half or, or so block and, and literally go into, he'd have somewhere set up. So when he was uh, coaching people, he would stop. Okay, last session at, at uh, three. Now I go for my nap and he'd go lie down because he would be, be unable to function so through exhausted. the day. So it was yeah. so... Um, for him, that improved that obviously, you can go right through the day, but yeah, quality of life dramatically a bit, but all facets of life uh, for him improved uh, tenfold. So he, he literally doesn't leave home without it and yeah. doesn't spend a night. Uh, without it, but but also long term. I mean, there's, there's a ton of health concerns uh, long term with the sleep apnea and you know cardiovascular risk and stress on the the cardiovascular system when you stop breathing and lungs yes. and heart and and blood pressure issues. So there's a there's a huge amount of uh, health concerns associated with sleep apnea.
1: Absolutely. And aside from those quite dire health concerns, the other factors of just being depressed and having yeah. poor performance and lethargy throughout your yeah. day. It's just not a pleasant way to be leading your life and i dare say so there's a thing about five to ten percent of the population uh have been diagnosed with some sort of obstructive sleep apnea and then a smaller percentage of those with the central sleep apnea but i think the point we're getting at is mate how many people are walking around lethargic tired yeah uh, depressed and have poor quality sleep have to drag themselves out of bed are are falling asleep in the afternoon Mm. and they probably have no idea or they've just come to accept that that's... That's their life, that's, yeah. That, that's their life, that, that's how it is. They may not even know yeah. that they have a sleep issue, yeah. whether it's sleep apnea
0: or something else. Yeah, uh, because I mean, it, it might also not be as pronounced as, as what we described with Corey, where he we got to the point he'd wake up gasping for breath. I mean, yes. it could be a, you just stop breathing momentarily, a little gag come to, then you go back to sleep, and then a little gag... Yeah, happens uh, 20 to. times in the night, but you're, yeah. not, you're not even aware of it. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess for our um, listener out there, it might be a... Uh, a cue to perhaps talk to your, your, your GP and um, and see if that is something that you can look into but hmm. uh, um, so sleep apnea Tom definitely
1: right I so we sleep apnea is uh, yeah. nothing as serious as that but you do have a few issues getting to sleep. Yeah, and you've tried the grateful log and various other processes yeah, yeah we've meant for,
0: for our listener grateful log if you
1: want to describe that again Tom or if it's the first podcast you're tuning into the grateful log just as you're nodding off once you've hopped into bed get out a nice little leather bound diary and a felt tip <laughs> pen leather bound very Le- good leather bound dip the quill in the yes. ink and then uh, yes. handcraft a few of the things that you're grateful for in your life so yes. I'm so happy and grateful that uh, I had a wonderful podcast episode with Rawdon today. He And Cam. Cam ate a banana and a chicken schnitzel sandwich and a, a, Washed a, and down a flat with white. A flat white, yep. Rawdon didn't have a micro sleep during the show. During the show, yes. Ever so grateful. Very grateful um, for
0: that. But, but that's the Grateful Lock. So the idea is you go to sleep with a positive headspace, you sleep well, wake that's up right. positive. So Programming fantastic.
1: the subconscious mind to focus on positive things. Okay. If you've created the Batcave and the room is dark and dark. there's no light getting in, it's silent and yeah, it's and quiet. The,
0: remember the phone on the flight mode or, or out of the room. Out of the room. Of, uh, analog uh, clock, you know, you, you yep. wind it up, set it off.
1: Turn off the, the wireless internet if you've got yep. wireless. Just to reduce all the all the different things that can impair the sleep. If you're doing all of that and still having trouble getting to sleep, yep. then you can possibly look at some uh, supplementation to help because there's, yeah. there's many things in the world of supplements which can uh, quite effective for yeah. for sleep.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean we've mentioned these over the the previous podcast from time to time, but we thought we would lump them all together in one yes. bumper issue. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Um, So
1: yeah, we're kind of looking at a, an all angles approach to a sleep stacks. We've got a really good mineral for sleep. We've got some neurotransmitters yep. and some amino acids, combination of which she'll have you asleep on the couch yes. before you even get up to wash the dishes. Yes. So magnesium, that's the yeah. obvious one. I mean, it's, it's the mineral of relaxation. It relaxes the mind, uh, the
0: muscles, the nervous system. Blunts cortisol. Yes. Bring cortisol levels down. Obviously cortisol being a uh, somewhat excitatory or energy producing if it's elevated in the evening probably not optimal yes and if you train in the evening you can often find that that uh, those stress hormones will be elevated thereafter so you want to uh, quell those uh, bring those down ASAP so some magnesium could so as part of my daily stack without fail that's a, a go-to and, and pretty much all my too. clients as yeah. well like, you get the magnesium get the zinc get all that covered and then um, then branch out from there. But that would, uh, and a reasonably hefty dose of, of magnesium I like, make sure it's a, uh, some sort of chelated magnesium. So um, not magnesium oxide, that's uh, generally, will just irritate the digestive system and won't be too effective. But some sort of magnesium um, chelate would be the way to go in regards to magnesium, magnesium. anyway. Magnesium, yep. Okay,
1: GABA, which is gamma amino butyric acid it's the main inhibitory neurotransmitter for the central nervous system mm. so in combination with magnesium it works very very well yep. but a dosage of GABA at nighttime with dinner would certainly uh, calm the, the, the central nervous system yeah. creates a real sleepiness as well like you get yeah. uh,
0: actually quite dopey <laughs> yeah. quite dopey and fumbling around before bed Now, of course yeah. the amino acid taurine would be the precursor to GABA so you could go uh, start at taurine or GABA or um the GABA fennibut is probably my go-to in regards to if I wanted to supplement the GABA I find that uh, probably the best uh, certainly to like you said relax everything um the GABA is a good option there but the GABA Butt is the one that I like to you use like to Use, to use that. that one yes you mentioned the
1: taurine Rorden, so that's an amino acid that calms the central nervous system but it actually like you said the pathway is it enhances the body's natural production of the neurotransmitter GABA.
0: Yeah yeah sometimes it's better to let the body produce these things other times that uh, you might want to actually supplement directly the the, the GABA itself rather yes. than letting the body produce it.
1: So one of the other really good neurotransmitters that would be helpful for sleep obviously is serotonin yep. and so 5-HTP is a wonderful supplement it's produced from the seeds of some sort of African plant but uh, that actually increases the production and the synthesis of serotonin yeah it's the feel-good hormone yep. and very uh, helpful in promoting a deep sleep
0: yeah the tryptophan is your precursor to serotonin as well so you can actually take uh, you know, some magnesiums uh, come with tryptophan or you can take straight uh, tryptophan that can uh, that can work quite effectively as well and of course carbohydrates will also um, uh, have some uh, increase or benefit increasing serotonin so often uh, poor sleep or several carbohydrates at night time before bed uh, and that's you know yourself I certainly do a bowl dose of carbohydrates you know uh, purely to help sleep Tom and, and, yes. and replenish <laughs> glycogen stores of, of course it's not because I like eating uh, a bowl of wheat picks before I go to bed yes. not at all
1: well sometimes I even like to get into bed and, uh, and then get <laughs> no, out I of it d- oh no, yeah Wheat-Pix. I was going to eat in bed I never eat in bed no That's but you're, you're, you have that. been known to get up in the middle of the night and it. waft down a bowl of weet <laughs> Nocturnal sleep-related eating disorder, Rawdon. That was another thing when I was researching. <laughs> I popped up and I thought, oh, that, that, yeah. that could be
0: Rorden. Touch of the <laughs> but Dubois. But yeah.
1: that's actually when people do get up and uh, and without having a, a feast sleepwalking and go up and
0: cook a three course meal and eat it all and Jeez. wash it down with the chocolate milk and whatever blah 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 some dates but uh, I guess uh, supplementation as well phosphatidyl uh, serine very good at blunting cortisol I mean the inositol is very good too Tom yep so uh, a, a, a B vitamin but the inositol you know uh, will reset um, yeah. brain chemistry brain chemistry neurotransmitters yeah so yep. you, you know you, you, your four main neurotransmitters the dopamine acetylcholine, serotonin, and GABA. So if, if your serotonin and GABA are poor, then the inositol should bring those up so you're nice and, and uh, balanced uh, neurotransmitter-wise, meaning you're not going to be too excited when you go to bed. Everything's going to be nice and even. You can switch off, go to sleep. So the inositol is a, is, is a great addition to your yes. nighttime stack. And, and, of course, Tom, don't forget you've got your, your bread and butter, your melatonin, the actual uh, your hormone that's going to be... Uh, most significant, I guess, in uh, improving, well, controlling sleep. Yes. You know, if melatonin levels are poor or depleted, nutritional choices and, and uh, medication can deplete Yes, uh, your, your melatonin. That's right. And it's so a,
1: melatonin is your body's natural hormone to regulate sleep.
0: Exactly, yes. exactly. Uh, pineal gland, I think it's uh, produced. You can actually supplement uh, melatonin as well. Uh, and that, that has been shown to increase growth hormone too. So from a, a body composition perspective, you know, supplementation of melatonin, um, can be very beneficial as well. Uh, but that would also fall into the, the supplements that you, you'd want to consider to improve sleep. Because without uh, your quality sleep, you know, you really. I, I find the body composition, just general health, very poor, energy levels mm. so poor. Mm. You know, your, your disposition in life will be <laughs> somewhat miserable when yep. you're sleeping poorly. And you really notice uh, when clients do start, you know, they. <laughs> They almost will come up and hug you and give you a kiss because you've improved their life so dramatically by yes. just giving them some magnesium and it's like, wow, I've never slept like this before. But uh, certainly from a body compositional performance perspective, Tom, you know, I'll find that, that you'll get to that point and they won't get past it. And then yeah. you really have to really dig deeper and improve their sleep quality to get them over the line.
1: Yes. Well, Dan Garner's coming up on the program in, in a couple of segments' time, mate. So we'll ask him his uh, spin on sleep. I'm sure he'll uh, yeah. he'll give us some good tips. And uh, I think addressing that whole cortisol curve that you're talking about, whether you know yeah. people have got a reverse cortisol curve, so maybe he can explain that and go into a bit of detail. Yep, how to fix that one.
0: Good one. Oh, oh yes, you're back, and uh, you're listening to Under the Bar with uh, Roden and Tom.
1: It's uh, um,
0: uh, uh, uh. Well look Tom Before we uh, get into that Huge wheel of cams yes. Before he gets <clears> that And spins that one I, I'll just throw in a little study Because we're talking about sleep and, Yes And body comp And our listeners are like Look if I don't sleep Am I going to get fat Well I'm going to tell you You will Categorically, yes, according to this study, anyway. Right, I mean, so basically, uh, this is an interesting one for uh, children. I mean, we, Australia, have we are the most obese in the world, I think. Haven't we still got that title? Well, certainly, our children are, which is outstanding, I guess. Not, but basically, this this study looked at um, whether reduced sleep is associated with uh, differences in body comp. Yes. And the risk of becoming overweight in young children. So basically, if you don't get enough sleep, do you have more of a chance of increasing the body fat and um, having a a body composition issue, I suppose? Yes. Um, Uh, 244 children, so followed from the ages of 3 to 7, so decent study. Formative years, yes. Yeah, yeah. Body mass index, fat mass, fat-free mass, uh, measured with bioelectrical impedance, dual-energy x-ray, physical activity... Uh, sleep duration measured with accelerometry so obviously look i'm not going to rattle off all these facts and figures but it was quite a a thorough extensive study yes um the conclusion if you will was that young children who do not get enough sleep are at an increased risk of becoming overweight even after adjustments for initial weight status and multiple, so even though they, they, they took out all the other variable uh, variables, it was still concluded that they were at an increased risk um, of becoming overweight if they don't get enough sleep. The weight gain is a result of increased fat uh, deposition in both sexes, rather than additional accumulation of fat-free mass. So, it, like the study said, if you don't get enough sleep, in this particular study, it showed that you're much higher risk of becoming uh, overweight as, as a child. So. Yes,
1: I guess that's important, Rawdon, because we know that in those early childhood years, yes. the fat that you produce or the fat cells that you put on—I mean, essentially the. An individual fat cell gets full of lipids and when it can't get any more fat in there it hyperplases and creates yes. more cells yep the more fat cells you have particularly through those formative years uh, as a child and then again during puberty yeah um you, you
0: never get rid of those cells those are fat cells that you've got for life exactly the potential for you to get fat thereafter basically fat child very easy to be uh, a fattest fat adult adult yes um, which is really challenging. And it, like you said, that can't be reversed. So once the fat cells are there, they're there. But you can actually increase it. So if you really if you really excel and do consume a ton of calories and, and, and sedentary and do absolutely nothing, yes, you can actually increase the fat cells. The number uh, of fat cells you have. Yeah. So the
1: size of the fat cells and also the number size, of fat cells. Size, but then also the number. So you, Creating you're, potential for more fat storage yes. later on. And look, it's a good argument for anyone bodybuilders who you know have the off Off season season, and you know they take it as free reign to you know bulk yeah so to speak i mean it's just an excuse to get fat an excuse to get fat and if you're getting fatter if your body fat gets to a higher percentage than it's ever been in the past then Mm. you've there's fat cells that you've got for the rest of your life exactly you know Rookie era, but rookie yeah, era.
0: but that's interesting. That study um, showed that, but certainly another reason uh, to get those uh, that magical. Again, there are exceptions to the rule, but that uh, between seven and nine hours, that that yeah, That's, that's the sweet with, spot with. for sleep.
1: Yes, yes. Nice sting cam.
0: Boom down.
1: Ah. Just makes you feel so good that music. Hey, I can tell when your head starts wobbling from side to side. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. coming up. Time to spin the wheel. A huge wheel it is. too. The Clean well. Health Podcast pack for everyone who's on our subscriber list. You're you're in the draw. You got to be in it to win it. Yep. Uh, you win the deluxe shaker, the stainless steel water bottle, the drawstring gym bag, the cooler bag for all your meals. It's a nice prize. Look, it's, it's, it's not to be sneezed at. Look for it's decent. It's <laughs> decent. <laughs> right, no, okay. It's, it's good. Yeah, no. Yeah, check it at reception. Check it at reception, mate. <laughs> right, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that's a big one.
0: A big one, can. Yeah. It must have been that banana you had earlier, mate. Really fueled that spin. Yeah.
1: Twenty minutes time, we'll be asleep on the creme knob. He will be. Don't raff- ruffle the paper. Oh, so what have we got? Here? Number five hundred and twenty. <laughs>
2: Two Whoa, that's a uh, massive
1: wheel. I'll ruffle the papers. Who, who have we got? Uh, Samantha Miles. Samantha okay. Miles. The cafe stands up and applauds. Very good, very Samantha, good. Samantha, well done. Thank you for being a part of the programme. You've won the Clean Health Podcast Pack. Yep. If you'd like to be a part of this segment in upcoming episodes, go to uh Cleanhealth.com.com <laughs> <successful segment. laughs> dot AU forward slash podcast and follow the prompts into your name and email. Yeah, she's listening to Under the Bar, the clean health podcast with Rawdon and Tom, another episode. And uh, Rawdon, I've basically just got a printout of all of my bio-sigs, bio-sigs. which you've been been doing for me Fudging since... Fudging for, for months. <laughs> yeah. Well, since 2011, actually. It's back in the day. There's two periods that actually stand out. So my last two bio-sigs... My weight went from 87.1 to 87.6 total weight. Nice. My body fat went from 8% down to 7.2. Okay. And my lean muscle went from 80.2 to 81.3. Ooh. For you, that's not bad. For me, that's very significant. Yep. Then we go right back down to July 2012. Mm -hmm. And um, almost uh, exactly the same thing, body weight was uh, 87, went up to 88.5, body fat was 7.8 down to Mm 7.3, lean mass went from 80 to 82.1, so over a period of two pinches, I had these two significant bursts of progress, and in between that, the body fat hovers anywhere from uh, from 10 down to, I think there might have been a 6 or something down there somewhere, um, but the lean muscle mass never really moves that much and I've been, and I struggle with it's it. nemesis. Yes, it's my nemesis. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and over this last little period of time, I've actually been making progress. Yes. You know, the shirts are tighter, people coming up and saying, hey mate, yeah. it looks like you're actually putting on some
0: muscle. And they say, you know, your arms are bigger than mine when you in photos yes. and stuff like that, which well, I, I said it's the angle.
1: Yes, which it probably yeah. was. Uh, yeah.
0: But anyway, what correlates with these two periods of progress is
1: that I had someone designing my nutrition plans. Ah. Back in 2012, you were doing it. Yep. And at the moment, I've got a guy called Dan Garner, who we've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. Yeah. He's uh, working over there at the Canadian Centre for Strength and Conditioning with Andre Benoit, Touch of the Benois, And he's, the been, yep. he's been doing my nutrition. Oh, cool. <laughs>
0: he's been concocting some sort of uh, fancy eating plan with all sorts of goodies in it but yeah it, it seems to be working very it,
1: well it has actually worked really really well so we've got him on the line to have a bit of a chat about um well various things because apart from designing my nutrition he's actually yeah. quite an accomplished is he? strength coach and nutritionist works yeah. a lot with the hockey players over there yeah, big big marketing yep. calgary obviously and he joins us from calgary dan thank you very much for your time mate
2: how's it going guys yeah, we're, doing well. yep. we're doing well
0: we're hey, doing well well actually it's, it's a bit moist behind the ears uh, dan it's a. Uh, uh, rain. It's quite torrential here, uh, cyclonic type conditions. Yes, there's been so low, much, actually. so much rain they've actually shut down
1: parts of the city. Yes. People aren't coming to work, so it's. Uh, yeah, also, we're but it's well, serious. but
0: the weather's weather's not so well. Yes.
2: that's brutal. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Now, mate, for the benefit of our listeners, can you give us a bit of a, a rundown as to how you got to where you where you are, Dan? I know you're very you've been influenced by a lot of mentors throughout your career, and you've yep. taken your your path in various ways. So if you can just explain the the evolution of your career, mate.
2: Sure, absolutely. So, exactly like you guys said, I am a product of a series of mentors. You know, I I don't invent anything. I get all of my information from research, textbooks, and the accumulation and the amount of good mentors that I've had along my journey. And I started pretty much like everybody else. So, when I was about 14 or 15, I asked my dad that I wanted a weight training set and he my dad he's a he's a cyclist he bikes all the time so he was driving by uh yard sales and garage sales constantly so he picked me up probably for maybe $20 <laughs> one of those old school yark plastic york Plastic concrete filled weight sets and I went to town on that thing for a long time when I was 15 16 And of course the majority of my research in that time was on supplements right because because at that time They do everything for your physique That's right You don't have to do any hard work The old weeder weeder range back in the day the victory uh, uh,
0: weeder supplementation definitely
2: absolutely if you just take some creatine and do some bench press you're you're pretty much good to go uh-huh. yeah <laughs> so anyways, uh, tell me dan from, before
0: you move on yeah. was that the was it the york bench with a little leg extension on the end of it
2: absolutely yeah <laughs> awesome you, you can only load about maybe 30 40 pounds on it yeah, yeah. That, that'll do
0: yeah. beautiful Love
2: yeah it. so from there i worked at a machine shop for a few years and in that machine shop i really didn't enjoy what i was doing and i was making a lot of training plans and nutrition plans for the guys in the shop it was it was pretty clear what i should be doing for a living i started out weight training mainly for athletic performance because i was a competitive fighter for about 6 or 7 years in my life and from there i've more fell in love with the science of training and fell in love with the really with the science of nutrition and mm. i went back to school out of the machine shop got a diploma in health wellness of fitness since then i've had a series of great mentors i've gone through a lot of mentoring processes i've got about 10 certifications in training and nutrition and i'm a current student in the functional medicine university right now and that's pretty much the last three to five years has pretty much just been an absolute whirlwind of me working seven days a week from morning to night trying to make it in this industry
1: okay well it sounds like you're going all right Right. You, know, yeah, you, you know you know, you go on great. all right
0: when you come on to the Under the Bar podcast. So you're you, you, well and yeah. truly. You can hang up the boots now, mate. It's, uh, yeah.
1: It doesn't get any better than this. It's all downhill from here. Yes. <laughs> this mate, is the pinnacle. you yes. want to just rattle off a couple of your mentors for us? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I've had Andre Benoit, of course, working at the Canadian Centre for Strength and Conditioning. Um, he's been a big part of this process. One of my taekwondo instructors actually back in the day was a big mentor for me, Carlos Baptista and Ashley Hennessy, they both did a lot for my discipline and my work ethic. Um, I couldn't recommend martial arts more for people growing up to enhance their strength but also their discipline. Mm, And Kristen Maurice in Montreal was another great mentor of mine that I went to Montreal and worked along with him and was able to learn a lot from him as well. I know he's done some seminars in Australia over there with you guys. He works with the
0: uh, movie stars
2: and stuff, yeah? Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. he's he worked with the, a lot of actors, but a lot, a lot, a lot of stuntmen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Quite dramatic results over a short period he's, he's famous for, yeah?
2: Yeah, very, very short periods. A couple of weeks time getting people ready for, for uh, acting roles and yeah. being able just to train stuntmen with destroyed both arms destroyed legs yeah. destroyed back making plans for stuntmen has got to be a cortisol enhancing activity <laughs> well we call it cortisol this side of <laughs> the world but yeah definitely man yeah, yeah. well mate why
1: don't we um because we're going to talk about sleep today because something that rod and i have been uh, meaning to cover on the show and we know that you've done a fair bit of research into that but before we get to the sleep, sure. sleeping side of things mate why don't we just get a bit of a, a rationalization of what you've done with me and and to achieve my progress so you were doing my nutrition for a a phase of hypertrophy training the workouts that Andre had obviously written you'd obviously had a look at those and figured out what was appropriate Um, right what was the process that you went through on your end to
2: um design my nutrition plan um the same process that I go through with everybody okay so I am not a guy who has an angle or any gimmicks or anything like that. You know, I'll never try and make squares fit into a circle. When you understand protein metabolism and you understand carbohydrate metabolism and you understand fat metabolism and then you're presented with the client's current situation and their goals, the diet really writes itself. Um, Protein has specific adaptations on the body and specific metabolic processes as does carbohydrates and fats. Now you being a primary hypertrophy goal. And we had a pretty short time period too. So we wanted mm. to take all avenues in order to optimize success. Because I think that, what, what did we have, Tom? About five weeks for that mass phase? Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah, in, it was in, five that, weeks. in that five weeks, we were able to increase lean body mass and decrease fat. So that's definitely a fantastic phase. Mm. And we do that by following exactly what we should be doing. You know, there's nothing special about, uh, like I can make a point right here. If you guys look up weird shit online, (laughs) I promise that is all that you'll do. (laughs) The amount of weird stuff that you can follow out there for nutrition, for carb cycling, calorie cycling, protein bolus dosing, carb bolus dosing, is that if you took it on as a full-time job, that would pretty much be all you do. And what I do is I've done all of my learning through textbooks and research. And that allows you to mend your way through what's actually worth doing and what's actually not worth doing. So the number one thing for Tom, of course, was calories. So calories, they're, gonna, they're your number one asset no matter what you're doing. If you're trying to do a recomposition, if you're trying to build muscle mass, if you're trying to lose body fat, calories are your biggest weapon. You know, there's, there's no 300 pound power lifters that aren't eating a lot. And yes, likewise, there's no little wee bikini competitor who isn't eating very little. Calories are the number one regulator of body weight, but what's going to determine the composition of that body weight is the way in which you structure your macronutrients, the ratios they have with one another, the timing at which you have those macronutrients, and sleep. So sleep's a big part of the composition of that body weight too. So although calories may regulate somebody's body weight to be at 200 pounds, that amount of weight being fat, muscle, being lean weight or fatty weight is going to be determined by the timing of your meals, the macronutrient distribution and the quality of sleep that you get in that process. So for Tom with a hypertrophy number one, I want to make sure that he's getting protein around the clock to feed his fractional synthetic rate. So that's really the key for protein timing. There's no positive benefit or negative benefit or adaptation that's gonna happen with big bolus doses of protein pre workout or big bolus doses of protein post-workout. So for protein, you just wanna get even solid amounts all throughout the day to feed that fractional synthetic rate to make sure that he is maximizing that muscle building process for how short of a time that we had.
1: Okay, and and so the the fractional synthetic rate, that just refers to the the process of protein synthesis, is that correct?
2: Yeah, exactly. So fractional synthetic rates, they operate on a curve, and it's the way in which you measure the process of building muscle mass. So let's say all three of us today, we did 10 sets of 10 of squats, okay? That's a hard, pretty grueling workout, and the fractional synthetic rate is a way in which we're going to measure muscle growth, and that's going to occur depending on the intensity and the volume of the workout over the next three to four days. But the thing with fractional synthetic rates is they operate on a 24 hour clock. That curve is happening for three to four days. So when you're ha- when that curve is being fed over a 24 hour clock, what's feeding that curve to build protein synthesis is of course amino acids. So you wanna have even distributed protein meals throughout the entire day to feed that fractional synthetic rate throughout the entire four days after that training session to maximize all avenues of muscle growth.
1: Mm, okay, that was nice. And a
2: big thing for that as well, like another big point too, is if you're not feeding that fractional synthetic rate, which is in some cases intermittent fasting or skipping meals or whatever it's going to be, your body's prime objective is not to be completely jacked and completely lean. Your body does not care about that. So if you trained your chest extremely hard, that fractional synthetic rate is going to be on for the next three or four days, depending on how hard you trained it. And the only two ways it's going to get it is from protein from the diet or from muscles that you're not currently using. So if there's been an inactive muscle for a while, let's say your rear delt, your body's gonna say, my chest is really sore right now. I really don't care about this real delt development on my back right now. So I'm gonna bring amino acids from that real delt to feed and repair my chest fascinating so what
1: your process of gluconeogenesis or something where it will break down muscle tissue to access amino acids to feed another muscle tissue
2: exactly that wow. will transfer itself around the body
0: yeah i've heard uh someone else talk about this and it's sort of like a redistribution of uh muscle protein like it will go from somewhere else and be relocated elsewhere but you never have a net increase it's just sort of just shifting around the body to different the places. Body, you never
2: actually make any gains Yes, that's right. You can make gains in one area and potentially lose from another area if you're not eating correctly. Interesting.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. Well, you learn something every day. Very nice uh, layman's terms feel to that, Dan. So far, so
2: good, mate.
1: So, mate, let's move on to another macronutrient then. I guess the one that played a significant role in my progress was carbohydrates.
2: Yes, carbohydrates. So, this is one that's under a lot of fire. It seems to be like all the time Mm. and it's really undeserving. Carbohydrates, sure they're not essential but for muscle building and even losing fat, I never ever take carbohydrates out of the plan of my clients for a lot of reasons. Carbohydrates, pre, during and after workout, I mean that's the preferred fuel source for the muscular system but it's also the overwhelmingly preferred fuel source for the nervous system. And when you're training, you want to feed the muscles and the nervous system during training because a lot of people don't think about the nervous system, but fatigue can occur and it's been shown in research to occur in the nervous system before it occurs locally. So if you're training your biceps very, very hard, your nervous system can fatigue prior to the biceps actually fatiguing. So I wanna make sure if Tom's training extremely hard, which if he's doing Andre's plan, you can believe that he's training hard and he's training hard twice a day. So I wanna give this guy as many carbohydrates as I can while still keeping him lean. And a big part of keeping him lean and making sure those carbohydrates go to the places that I want them to go to, is making sure that they are before, during and after training. Those are the times when carbohydrates are best metabolized, whether it doesn't matter whether you're on a hypertrophy phase or if you're on a fat loss phase. Before the workout, you want them there to top off glycogen stores to get glucose in the bloodstream to start feeding the workout. During training, you want them there to feed the fractional breakdown rate because there's also a rate at which muscles being broken down and carbohydrates have tremendous muscle sparing ability to feed that breakdown rate to make sure amino acids aren't being broken down and also to feed training intensity and his endurance and also his pumps. You want to have a good muscle swelling in there as well. And one of the biggest producers of a muscle pump is insulin. If I can get carbohydrates in before, during and after training, he's going to have a longer and bigger swell in the muscle cell. And post-training, we want a lot of carbohydrates, more carbohydrates post-training, immediately post-training than any other time in the day. Because number one, resistance training activates GLUT4 and GLUT12 receptors. So the first 30 to 60 minutes after training isn't even insulin dependent. So, and that's what I mean by that is for glycogen replenishment. So, the first 30 to 60 minutes after training, since GLUT4 and GLUT12 are activated from resistance training, you're not insulin dependent. So, you can get lots of carbohydrates in there, and then insulin starts turning on. You can jump even more in there. And what's been clearly shown in the research is that the higher the insulin, The more insulin that you get in there the quicker the glycogen replenishment but also the more effective the glycogen replenishment so we do want sugars in that time but another interesting fact about post-workout insulin status is it's been shown as well with limited data but very very interesting data about mTOR signaling for longer term muscle growth so it's been shown that in an insulin very insulin rich environment post-workout mTOR signaling is more prone for muscle growth for several days as opposed to a non-insulin environment which is not shown to have the same longer term muscle growth ok so does that mean that you, the,
1: the glycogen uptake actually continues for several days or is it just the just, actual the muscle protein just, synthesis part?
2: yeah just simply that high insulin environment post workout has been shown to have a stronger signal for mTOR signaling post workout and that, in turn, will create a more longer-term muscle growth over the next several days. Right, because
0: right. mTOR was, was more significantly activated. You have more uh, muscle protein sensors for the days that's afterwards. That's
2: exactly right. Just think right. about it as a curve. It just hit a higher point. Hit a
1: higher point, I see. Okay. So for that to happen, that's not requiring glycogen then on the days after.
2: It's independent of In glycogen. relation to that
0: particular workout. Of course, you workout. have other workouts yep. which require it, but yeah. Yep.
2: Yes, Yes, independent. The insulin acti- the insu- the height of insulin post-workout is what creates that.
0: Okay, so like uh, insulin touted as the, the most anabolic hormone in the body. Is that through that mTOR mechanism? Like why? Uh, I mean, I know it's initiating mTOR and the glycogen resynthesis, but what other factors are at play in regards to it being... Uh, does it initiate... Is it just through mTOR where it initiates muscle protein synthesis, or are there other... Um, things that insulin is doing within the muscle cell to elicit
2: growth through well I mean you can there's lots of things incorporating protein synthesis at that point right hyper amino acidemia yep. Hyperinsulinemia, yep. the glycogen status of the muscle glucose your hypercaloric diet yep. all these things are feeding to protein synthesis as well as the resistance training yep. but in that research specifically was mTOR signaling yep. Okay.
0: cool cool um, and just before we move on from that, I might jump in there and uh, anabolic window, uh, your take on that. Obviously, you know, we just heard that there's, it's a curve and it lasts for days. If we hit the mTOR post-workout, that would suggest uh, that there would be some significance in having uh, you know, the high intake of carbohydrates post-training, which would uh, suggest that there is in fact an anabolic window or, or an optimal time to, uh, certainly from a carbohydrate perspective, uh, to, to feed the, the, the muscle carbohydrates. Uh, does protein fall under that same... Is there a need to get protein in uh, immediately for that anabolic window? Or is it
2: more the, the carbohydrate side of things that's more significant? More carbohydrate is more significant at that point. So like I was saying, the fractional rates, they operate on a 24-hour clock. So right. more important than anything is how much protein you get in the day, and if that's evenly split apart. But post-workout, you still want protein post-workout, number one, because you are turning on anabolic machinery post-workout. There's lots of signaling going on, and it's gonna be ideal to get acidemia right in there. You want amino acids available for all these processes happening. But research has also shown that protein and carbohydrate together are more effective for glycogen synthesis than either alone so you do want them both together and you can also forget that whey will stimulate insulin as well as carbohydrates Mm. so you'll get a higher net insulin post-workout excellent the anabolic window goes in carbohydrates um i was talking about this with tom is insulin sensitivity is most effective I, i give my clients on the majority of their carbohydrate intake before, during, and after training, but a large majority of it after training, because after training is when the body is most insulin sensitive. And it's within that six hours post-workout. It goes up, it depends on the volume and the intensity of the workout, but six hours can be your average to where insulin sensitivity is heightened. And as the further you get away from that workout and as soreness starts to increase, there's also uh, the linear relationship with insulin resistance. So the sore muscle actually gets which is usually the next day it's been shown in the research as well that it becomes more insulin resistant Mm. so you want to get a lot of your carbohydrates in within the six hours after training it just makes a lot more sense for proper nutrient timing and getting the best bang for your buck all the time so let's say i chained my chest today i trained my chest very very hard today And within the six hours after training, I took in a lot of carbohydrates and my chest is gonna soak up those carbohydrates because it just had a lot of endogenous depletion from the training. But the next day, my chest is extremely sore and I say, ah, you know what? I'm going to have a lot more carbohydrates today to try and influence and get a lot more recovery out of this. Bam. Well, that window is pretty much gone at that point because Straight it's going to, to be hips. a lot more resistant to the carbohydrates that you're taking in. Yeah.
1: Okay, and that was uh, I, I was thinking about that the whole time while I was doing this training because I i never got over the DOMS, particularly with my legs. Like on leg day, it was pendulum squats in both the AM and the PM and oh, God. Just, they were just it was just always always sore so i just knew i i was like okay i've only got this small window to get all these carbs in because the rest of the time i'm, I'm sore and i'm even sore yeah. when i start the next workout so i have to redo some more damage so i can suck up some more carbs and then the window's going to be gone again because it gets so sore
0: well dan i might jump in there if you're okay in tom's scenario where he did have doms when you retrain that body part do you then improve? Does it come back to you being insulin sensitive again and it all starts over or is the... No, it
2: will come back again because he did just train again. And in the morning, I gave him a ton of high glycemic index carbohydrates because I knew he was going to train again. So at that point, he had some relative glycogen already back in the system mm. to train hard enough again in order to reintroduce that insulin sensitivity again uh, okay. and the glute 4 and glute 12 so
0: uh, yeah i suppose you had him on some sort of fancy Vitago branch cyclic dextrin or some sort of fancy pre-training <laughs> carbohydrate what did you, you choose there mate what did you have him on
2: <laughs> For
0: carbohydrates, yeah, yeah, you did good you old have fashioned some dates. A couple of dates. A couple of dates. Yeah, yeah exactly. What the yeah. Hell? <laughs> Man, you guys, you guys, Calgary guys are crazy. And then, and while
1: I still had the window post work it, I wash it down with the chalky milk. With the chalky yes. milk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Look. Look, okay, dates, they are low glycemic <laughs> on most skills anyway, so it's not going to be a big issue. Mm. He was training a client beforehand, so he was already yep. up and walking around. I wanted him to uh, have something easy that he could just have prior to training. Um, in the research, pre-workout glycemic index levels have shown not a lot of effect on performance parameters anyways, even with high versus low. but. A lot of that is highly individual, which is why I asked Tom, keep in contact with me, tell me how you feel. And he had great workouts and he had massive pumps post training, I mean, during training. So the dates were a good, easy option there. Dates with the protein just for him specifically because he was on his feet and it was kind of awkward timing from breakfast to that meal to the workout Mm. time. And then with the post workout, um, he's already having the big shake post-workout, and then he was moving on to meat plus a lot of grains and vegetables in that meal as well. And I just wanted an easier way to not cause a lot of gastric upset in order for him to get a lot more carbohydrates. So yeah, my boy Tom here got some chocolate milk in there. (laughs) And one thing that's actually decent about chocolate milk and which a lot of people overlook in my opinion is the fact that both fructose and galactose feed liver glycogen synthesis right. both of those sugars do and there is galactose in chocolate milk and proper liver glycogen synthesis actually sets off a whole body yeah. anabolic response yeah, I'll so one i want him to have a very synthesized liver as well so i'm going to do that in any which way i can because he's training very hard twice a day very good so there we go
0: <laughs> come tomorrow new plans go out Here you guys <laughs> I want you to have some chocolate milk post training yeah it's just something i came up right rod and
2: do you want dates and chocolate milk is that what this is about? <laughs> yes. yeah
0: and i don't want everything yeah <laughs> i want it all
1: awesome yeah. Rod dan so i guess um what was interesting was in my the first week that i started this plan i was eating all this food and i actually got lighter and lighter on the scales one of the the factors that was different from that week to the weeks following that was that my sleep was very poor in week one you know i made sure i got on top of that so that's our little segue into the next topic we want to talk about which is sleep because i know you've done a lot of study into it so can you give us a bit of an overview of of what happens on a physiological level to the body while you're actually sleeping for a training individual that is someone who's trying to build muscle and, and burn body fat
2: well, sleep is incredibly important. I, I know you guys already know this. You guys are great, great trainers. And sleep is something that is equally pivotal. So when you talk, people talk body composition, athletic performance, getting ready for the stage, and it's always nutrition training. And sleep is equally as pivotal. If, if your sleep is not good, your performance is down. Uh, sleep is connected to every single system that's going on in the body. And when you're sleeping, that's what you're doing a lot of your muscle building. I mean, all, like almost, I can't say all, but most systems would be, are heightened in an anabolic state while you sleep. And this goes for muscles, but also for your bones and your endocrine system. You're replenishing neurotransmitters, which are extremely important for training. Um, there's a lot going on with sleep and especially for body composition. So a lot of the listeners here would be a lot more interested in body composition in yeah. comparison to a lot of the other things that sleep is connected to. But just a good study, for example, it was one done on middle aged people. And what would happen was one group was set to have eight and a half hours sleep per night. Another group was set to have five and a half hours of sleep per night and they were put in about a 700 calorie deficit. So it was to see what lack of sleep does to the body in a caloric deficit. So Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense to us trying to lean down if a lack of sleep is actually gonna affect us while we lean down. So one group slept eight and a half, the other group slept five and a half, and the result was both groups lost three kilograms because that's thermodynamics. You can't outrun thermodynamics. But like I said before, The nutrient timing and the food composition and the quality of your sleep determines the composition of your weight so even though these two groups are going to be of similar weight the composition between lean mass and fat mass is going to be different and it was different based on these sleep parameters the the group who slept more lost 50 50 lean mass to fat mass during this process but the group who slept less who slept five and a half hours only they lost um one fifth of their weight was fat the other was entirely all lean tissue so yeah. through glycogen and through muscle loss just because of a lack of sleep interesting yeah. fascinating
1: to reverse that then if you want to try and keep as much muscle on as you possibly can i mean you've mentioned this fractional synthetic rate. should we be having proteins before we go to sleep to be feeding that while we're sleeping
2: Yes, you should. Yes. Yeah, that's that's something that is that is good. Um, of course, when I say these things, I'm talking about some minutia here. You know, calories and macronutrients more important than anything else. I, yes. I can't say that enough. Yes. But the timing of the nutrients will make a difference. The timing of, the dif- of your nutrients will make even more of a difference when you're in a hypocaloric state. Yeah, that's yeah. when things become pretty darn important to make sure that you're still fueling the body properly in order to train hard. But also, in this case having either a normal protein with a lot of fats before bed, so you can slow the rate of digestion. Fats will slow the rate of digestion. So if you're having like a whey shake, I'd probably have some nuts with it as well. But if you're having casein, then you'd be good to go.
0: Hmm. Okay. Awesome.
2: So when you're working
1: down with just a a general population person, you've you've sorted out their nutrition and the training, you've got all those plans in place, but they're having issues sleeping. How do you go about addressing sleep issues?
2: absolutely so yeah so like a lot of people come to me for training and nutrition and like even Tom you'll say I I have you fill out a sleep questionnaire yes (laughs) so people can come to me for nutrition and then I email them a sleep questionnaire yeah (laughs) so I have to know that because that is equally pivotal and it is also that is also on a case-by-case basis so one thing I don't particularly like to see is when people guess So if someone just guesses, hey, this guy's kind of tired in the morning, I'm going to give him licorice root and adrenal gland. Or Mm -hmm. if this person's awake at night, I'm just going to mass dose him with melatonin. I like to know, you know, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to know. Mm -hmm. So for the people listening right now, one of the biggest things you want to be concerned with, with sleeping habits is actually stress. So that is the number one thing that's keeping people awake more often than not. So you immediately have your rule out, you know, like teeth grinding can impair people's sleep. Structural issues that are outside of my scope of practice, like physical therapy, pain in certain areas that can disrupt sleep that goes outside of my practice. Yeah. Um, medications like benzodiazepines, calcium channel blockers, birth control. These all three of those can um, deplete melatonin directly and melatonin is your main sleep hormone. So if you're taking medico- me- medications that deplete melatonin, then we immediately have an issue. And uh, SSRIs are also uh, in that category, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So those all deplete melatonin and birth control pills also deplete B vitamins. And you need B vitamins in order to synthesize serotonin. So you need to have a look, you have to have a look first at the rule So teeth grinding, structural issues, pain and medications. But sometimes my job in the sleep department is embarrassingly easy, okay? So I'll have somebody and they'll say, you know what, Dan, I'm, re- I'm really tired during the day. So I'll say, okay, well, how's your sleep? Because that's the first thing I think of. I don't want to give them caffeine or anything. I, I want to I know how they're sleeping because they shouldn't be tired. Mm. And they'll be like, well, actually, yeah, my sleep's not very good. And I'll be like, oh, okay, well, why is your sleep not very good? And they'll be like, well... My cat, he gets me up like three or four times a night. Yes. You know, okay. Kill the so, cat. I completely understand. Yeah. yeah you just hired uh, the nutrition specialist to tell you to not sleep with your cat. cat. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes my job is literally that easy and it yeah. doesn't have to get nearly as complicated as we yes. like to make it like we like to talk about. So we, you have your rule outs first. But After that, you want to be looking for cortisol curves during the day. So for people unfamiliar with cortisol, cortisol is a stress hormone in the body and it's not a bad thing, but it is a bad thing if it's too high and it's a bad thing if it's too low. How you want it is you want it high first thing in the morning and progressively to get lower throughout the evening. And because cortisol gives you energy, that's actually what wakes you up in the morning is cortisol slowly starts to rise. And once it hits a point, you wake up in the morning and you feel good and you're ready to go. But if you're one of these people who wakes up exhausted and then you need caffeine and then throughout the day you need a coffee at 11 or you have a midday crash at 3, there's a pretty good um, reason for you to get a four point salivary cortisol test and that is the heart of where i correct people's sleep is with that test so you find out that the
0: cortisol curve is out they have uh, either no cortisol or it's higher in the evening what what's your um, say for example no cortisol across the board What, what would you go to then supplementation
2: yeah absolutely so supplementation and and this this stuff is great for not just sleep that sleep is the topic of the conversation right now but when Mm. you correct a cortisol curve you are correcting so many things within the body Mm. cortisol contributes to inflammation to a high it's very highly catabolic so you'll lose muscle tissue it's mm. stressful, you're depleting the adrenal glands, you're very unpleasant to people. Mm. It's, uh, it, it'll have an effect on everything, including the thyroid and your gastrointestinal system. Like, like I'm talking everything. Mm. Okay. But in, the, in this scenario where the cortisol curve is off, and that is my main suspect throughout the questionnaire and throughout my intervention talking to them, yep. I will order a salivary cortisol test and DHEA. Yep. So what's that going to do is it's going to measure four points of cortisol throughout the day. And there are norms to where it should match the curve. Like we said before, it should be high in the morning and lower progressively as it gets into the evening time because it produces energy. But these four points be- are measured in the morning, in noon, and the afternoon, and also in the evening. And there are norms for these times. So if somebody is high at one time... I'm going to give them about about some phosphorylated serine 20 to 30 minutes prior to to help dampen that peak. Or if it's very low, some adrenal gland extract or some licorice would be great in that time. One point about licorice is if the cortisol reading is less than five, licorice actually is not going to work. Um, What it does, it increases the half-life of cortisol. But if cortisol is not there, it's not going to produce any. So you would need something to produce cortisol in that part. So there's, there's a timing issue there. So how we would go about that. And, and those are the main bullets. So okay. that's why I said before, I don't like to guess. I like to shoot bullets at yep. these things because once you know, you know. If you're good at what you do, you shouldn't guess. So that's why I like the those tests. And then depending on that curve, that's when we know how to properly supplement and properly address the issue and sleep will correct itself and we, from there, we would retest in four to six weeks and see what's going on and how well they've adapted to the system. And I'm also a big fan of melatonin, actually, during this time as well. Yes, because okay. melatonin is the one thing that's going to correct your circadian rhythm.
0: Yes. Okay. okay. So you like a bit of melatonin at night, the licorice. Uh, Sometimes more than a bit of melatonin. <laughs> 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 what what's, uh, that's with uh, a magnesium. I mean, I mean, down at the CHPC, uh, I like to generally, uh, you know, we use the the gabapentin, the magnesium to take the phosphodiyl serene definitely in the evening. Um, do you like to
2: use uh, uh, magnesium as well? Absolutely. So magnesium is an awesome one. That that's one. So I don't typically like okay yes I like magnesium a lot but I put magne- put people on magnesium anyways yeah. so, yes. but yeah. before Standard. they even present any sleep issues they're on magnesium okay. <laughs> yes. okay. I'm just going
1: to give Dangar. Oh, a call oh, hang on I've got magnesium in my hand where would that come from <laughs> <laughs> yeah. excellent yeah, and so mate once you've corrected their, their cortisol curve you've got them nice and relaxed in the evening they're ready to sleep but they've just got one of those lifestyles where they're, they're hectic and they've got more work than they can possibly handle and so the actual amount of time they have for sleeping is minimal what is the optimal amount of time for sleep and if you don't get much during the week does it work by catching up on the weekends can you can you sort of pay off a sleep debt
2: in my experience no um i haven't seen people being able to live to optimal health trying to pay off a sleep debt yeah so you would need to sleep well every single night because these Things, they don't get corrected over a weekend. So like when you affect yeah. sleep, your cortisol levels are too high, which shrinks the hippocampus of the brain and can actually affect learning and memory. So if you read a lot that day, how well you sleep that night determines how well or how not well you're going to be able to retain that information. Yes. So that's an acute effect. And also, with tra- especially for listeners of the Clean Health podcast. If you're getting a bad, if, like let's say you guys trained your legs today and then you got a terrible sleep tonight, recovery is severely impaired during yeah. that time. No matter what your calories or macros are, nobody feels recovered after a bad sleep. Yeah. So I would I would say that sleep, regaining sleep debt does not work because you can also sleep too long. People who sleep yes. too long don't feel well either. Mm. So you, you can't regain sleep debt. I would try if, if they had A low amount, I mean, uh, just no matter what, they couldn't, they didn't have the amount of hours to get a lot of sleep in, I would improve the quality of that sleep through supplementation and through dampening cortisol just to make sure that if they can only sleep six hours, that it's going to be a quality six hours and Mm -hmm. that they actually get it so they don't just get in bed at 10 o'clock, they actually fall asleep at 10 o'clock, you know, optimizing and managing the little things that I can do. But when it comes to optimal sleep per night, I mean the the automatic answer of course is seven to nine hours but i've seen so much variation between people like i know guys that actually function very well recover from exercise do their job on about six hours a night and they do well and then there are other people who do it on seven and there's other on eight and there's others on nine so everybody's so different so i don't exactly like to say sleep eight hours a night what i like to say is wake up without an alarm right.
1: Yeah, all right yeah right. nice i like that one dan wouldn't that be a, a nice luxury reward and if we didn't have the alarm <laughs> blaring
0: at us at 4 a.m <laughs> it's, it's It'd just be lovely. cortisol <laughs> yeah. that's it i mean that's <laughs> i the cortisol up that does for yeah. sure uh dan yeah. would you go so far as to say that um if uh, say for example body composition you'll get because um, my experience you'll get so far and then the body comp will plateau then you really the, the sleep issue then becomes a big issue and to get someone past or their body composition down to those uh, you know low digits really without the sleep it's not going to happen could you say that? Categorically if you're not getting enough sleep Uh, for that individual then that body composition goal of of the very low life for a competitor or something like that um, until they actually take a a, you know maybe it's to change their lifestyle change what they're doing make some sacrifices so they actually have more sleep until that happens do you do you think that's you you could actually say that yeah it, it would be pretty much
2: near impossible to get that body comp goal if they're natural yes yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly.
2: Yes. <laughs> so that okay, so that that's a rule out as well. So that that will that, that pretty much dominates a lot of things. Yeah. If it's not affecting your training intensity, your macro, your calories, um, those things are keeping your respiratory exchange ratio optimal. Um, What a respiratory exchange ratio is, is that's how sleep is affected. That's actually the primary driver to the study that I was talking about before, between the two groups, one lost more lean mass than the other group. That's a difference in respiratory exchange ratio. So the higher your respiratory exchange ratio, the more of your BMR that you're burning per day is coming from lean tissue. Wow. Now, the lower your respiratory exchange rate, the more of your BMR you're burning per day is coming from fatty tissue. So ideally, we'd have a low respiratory exchange ratio, so we're burning primarily fatty tissue in order to feed our BMR levels. Now, drugs will override that, and but if you're natural, that's gonna be a huge, huge thing for you. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Mm.
1: I'm interested, Dan, when you, um, with all the research and everything that you do, I mean, you've worked with your mentors and you spend all this time reading and going through research papers and stuff like that, because I I look at, and Roden does as well, he reads articles and we look at studies and various things, but quite often for myself, I'll go straight to the summary and just figure out what it's all about. So are you actually, when you're bringing together all these studies to find your own conclusions and things that you know from textbooks that work, are you actually going through and crunching the numbers?
2: Yes, sometimes. So being brutally honest with you, you guys, of course I do summaries too. The amount of articles that guys like us three read is ridiculous. That's all I do. Monday to Sunday, morning to night, I read articles. So it depends on how relevant the topic is. My interest is so wide that sometimes a summary will do because it has nothing to do with my career. You know, like one, one day I could be researching physical therapy, the next day it could be on a completely insignificant enzyme to do with liver metabolization, and the day after that it could be doing with glycogen replenishment. So it depends on how important and relevant it is to myself and to my clients. Mm. If it's extremely important and relevant, which a lot of this stuff is, I do go through it myself because I don't want people to manufacture an opinion for me. If you go through everything yourself you develop your own opinion by the end of it but if you read a summary then you will have a great understanding of what happens but if you didn't go through it yourself then you might have a different opinion yeah Yeah, does that make sense? yeah Yeah. that's exactly right and then I
1: And then, I guess, to take it a step further, once you actually start applying some of these things and you see how it works with different people, then you really know it for yourself what's going on. It's been an experience that Roden and I have had doing this podcast is we've spoken to so many leaders in their field about various things. And if you start to draw together some of the common threads that come through a lot of these people on on body composition, and you think that really does make sense, and you start doing it with your clients, and you see the results that happen, then you just know it. Mm.
2: So always yeah, like Jedi, exactly. you just do, doing you that sense and the knowing force. the why behind things plays a lot into being able to like being an effective coach. The number one thing is your ability to be adaptive, and mm-hmm. the only way to become adaptive is to have a very large knowledge base. Yeah, that's well, true. Nice one, Dan.
0: Um, I might uh, just before we wrap things up, I might just rewind a little. And uh, do you have some? Um, uh targets minimal targets for protein certainly protein and fats numbers that you'd like to use per pound or per kilo of body weight
2: yes for sure so a person should not go in a diet less than 10 percent fat for an extended period of time So if you are 200 pounds and your diet only has 20 grams of fat, you can only be on that for a minimal amount of time because that's your bare minimum intake that you should be taking in for body composition and health points. But for protein intake, a lot of people take too much. And protein is just like any other macronutrient, Okay. If you have too much of it, it's going to be stored as fat or it's going to be used as an energy substrate. So the protein intake that's going to supply more than enough in order to support any kind of lean muscle mass development is 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight a day. Yeah. So that would be anywhere from 2.2 grams per kilo for you guys. So just yes. think this exactly what your body weight is is honestly the easiest thing to remember and also the most effective. Yes. Um, for carbohydrates and fats, here's the thing. So if body composition and performance is the number one goal, all set protein and carbs first, because that's what's necessary. Carbs drive performance and body composition adaptations for a variety amount of reasons that I could go on forever about more effectively than fats do. That's just the way it is. So if it's for body composition and performance, I set proteins and carbohydrates first. Protein will be anywhere from 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight per day. And that depends on activity levels, how lean they are or how not lean they are. A 200 pound guy at 5% body fat is going to need a lot more protein than a 200 pound guy at 40% body fat. Yep. And for carbohydrates, that's strictly based on energy intake. I mean, based on energy ex- uh, expenditure. Yes. So yeah. it's gonna be any, carbohydrate could be anywhere from zero to seven grams per pound of body weight a day. Yeah. So huge variance there, depending, and the, the upper levels, those are for the endurance guys doing four to six hours per day of cycling or running or whatever it is. Those, the guys doing tons and tons of endurance, yeah. but strength athletes, um, body composition guys, Typically for lighter sessions can get away with one gram per pound of body weight a day. Um, for a, he- a heavier session, it'd be one and a half to three grams per pound of body weight a day. And this is, there's always a lot of variance. So yeah. these are just ranges that yeah, yeah, yeah. educated ranges that I can throw out. Yep. But if health is the priority, so if body composition and athletic performance is number one, I set protein and carbs first. But if health is the number one, then we should be focusing on proteins and fats first and then carbs later. Nice. So protein will still be set at the same rate unless they have some sort of urea or kidney or whatever issue it is. But mm-hmm. um That'll be the same. And fats will be set at a minimum 35% intake.
0: For health, cool. So 10%. Exactly. Not below 10% for an extended period. And health, uh, 35% for fats. Tell me, just before we move on from this, increasing muscle mass, i.e., Tom putting muscle mass on, we put the calories up. You've set all your macronutrients up he's got his carbs around training it's all looking good you want to increase calories because we know we need more calories to grow so we've got to put the surface you said 300 pound powerlifter they don't get that way by not eating you've got to eat <laughs> exactly. more exactly what do you like to bring up first uh if you're trying to put mass on obviously there might be an associated increase in in body fat that's fine but did you then Manipulate carbohydrates and fats, or do you do carbs first and then bring fats up, or fats first and carbs up, or does it depend on what the person can actually eat? They might say, Can't eat any more carbs. It's like, All right, cool, I'll bring fats up because it's easier to take in, or like for yeah. hypertrophy, what do you so, like to move?
2: Yeah, so if they say something like, I can't eat any more carbs. It depends how serious they are because sometimes I won't care and I'll just assign them more Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> suck it progress up. is number one. I don't <laughs> care. So that, that'll that be there. And But no, more often than not, it's actually fat. Um, so like you said, carbohydrates, they... They're set, so I set them, and I'm in contact with my clients all the time. They, they have a series of questions that they have to answer to me every single week on Sundays, and two of the questions right away is, how is your energy and how is your sleep? So I'm, I'm right on that right away, but if in the energy category, let's say, ah, I had a little bit less of a pump during my workouts this week. Okay. In that scenario, I would think about upping the carbs a little bit, or if he had a little bit less energy, I could up the carbs a little bit, but if he's having great pumps and great workouts, but his weight is static, Um, His carbs are already set. I I don't want to increase any susceptibility of having more carbs than you need to because carbs can go in just only a couple of different ways. And if we overdo glycogen synthesis, they can go into fatty storage. So in that case, I would increase fats because they're more calorie dense, it'd be easier for him to eat and his carbs have already been set. Mm okay so that's a safer bet in regards
0: to we're in a scenario we've got to increase uh calories uh carbs are set protein set um to err on the side of caution to make sure fat uh you know you, you, there might be some fat gain for sure but fats would be what you'd move up first see how the body calm changes uh yeah
2: exactly
0: okay so say I think
2: it's just the safer move. I mean, once again, we're, we're talking about little, little, little differences here and trying to get a big result in a short period of time. In, in, in the big picture of things, if somebody was like just wanted to, like if somebody's just working out and not, doesn't have a specific date that they have to get, yeah. in the big picture, these things all get washed out in the end. But when you're under a time constraint and you want to make every single best move possible, yeah. that is the better move in that scenario. Perfect. Yep. Okay. Awesome.
1: All right, Dan. Well, I'm um. Once we finish this, I'm getting my bags packed and going to the airport, flying up to the Gold Coast for uh, Andre's hypertrophy camp, which starts yep. tomorrow.
2: Ah, so, right on. So <laughs> lo-
1: looking forward to that. Uh, how is it around the club at the moment, mate? Pretty quiet without him there.
2: Yeah, just, yeah, it's different. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: you and you and Susan running amok.
2: Yep. Yeah. Feet, feet on the desk. Yes. Pants Don't off running one. around. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But, mate, thanks very much for coming on. A fascinating chat and a really good insight into how you do things and and layman's terms, explanation of some some pretty complex systems that are going on within the body, mate. So we do appreciate your time.
2: Thanks, Dan. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, mate.
1: Thanks very much, mate. I'll talk to you soon. See you, Dan. See you, buddy. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there he was, Dan Garner. Interesting uh, guy. Very articulate, uh, well researched, and uh, knowledgeable guy, Dan Garner. Very good at, uh, well, he made, he made reference to it. Then, if you get a good night's sleep, you uh, retain the knowledge that you've put in your brain during the day and he puts a lot of knowledge in there and yeah. obviously sleeps very well, so the yes. uh, the
0: retention of knowledge was impressive. Yeah, look, I, I think that was a fantastic interview, Tom, and I, I really took away from that the fact that I can eat dates and have chocolate milk. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Dan. <laughs> if you're not sleeping particularly well, there's a few supplements yes. you
1: can work into the mix. Magnesium would be one of them. That's your go-to. Uh, your GABA. Taurine,
0: GABA fennibut. All of these sorts Fun of things. 5-HTP. Yes. Tryptophan. A little bit of
1: inositol.
0: Inositol. Not too much inositol, though. We have some pretty crazy dreams. Crazy dream. Melatonin. Yes. All these things you can try to improve. Sleep, Phosphodetal serene, blunt that
1: cortisol. And look, whatever you do, don't put on uh, any more additional fat than you need to. Yes. yes. You've
0: been warned.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening. Have a lovely day, night, evening, morning, wherever you are around the world.
0: Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, Tom.